Hello. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit every Sunday morning. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each of you to our service this morning. I especially want to welcome you if you're visiting with us, if you're new to the church. We're so glad you're here, and if you have the capability, please feel free to say hello in the comments and let us know where you're watching from. You can also find a link in the comments that will take you to our online visitors forum where you can tell us a little bit more about you. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. Let's connect those divine sparks now, either by greeting each other in the comments or simply feeling the heartstring connections that bind us together. I invite you now to say the chalice lighting words with me if you are moved to do so. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. The Reverend John Burens was president of the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations from 1993 to 2001. He served congregations from regions throughout the U.S. and was an author of several books before retiring in 2017. He wrote, Everything is in process. Even the seemingly solid bedrock of Earth has gone through enormous changes since it was star stuff, then magma. Nor is reality quite the way the ancients saw it, changing combinations of Earth, fire, water, and air, or spirit. Nor is it made up chiefly of mass and space, as in Newtonian physics. What seems to us to be things are just packets of energy, related for a time. They are events, actual occasions. So are we. One of the things that helps us feel connected together, even when we can't meet together in person yet, is to have a common purpose. And for First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission. We hold it in our heart all through the week, and then we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And to help us develop a deeper understanding of Beloved Community, we've been taking a moment each week on Sundays to discuss it more deeply. And for those of us who identify as white, to perhaps think about some things that might change our perspective on our world. Our topic this Sunday is becoming. I've been thinking about that a lot since a few days earlier when another unarmed African-American was shot and killed by police only a few miles from the trial of the officer who had killed George Floyd. 20-year-old Dante Wright was killed over a traffic stop. Over and over and over again, this keeps happening. 
African-American lives, they're becoming cut short, their potential in life stolen from them. How much of all of our humanity are we losing if we allow this out-of-control policing system to continue? Good morning. I found a nice patch of blue bonnets to share with you today. I love getting to see the blue bonnets come up in the spring. One of my favorite things about flowers is the reminder they give us that things are always changing. The world around us is always becoming something new. This week we are celebrating Earth Day on Thursday, and in honor of Earth Day, I want to read you a story about our Earth and how it's always changing and always taking care of us. My Friend Earth, written by Patricia McLaughlin, illustrated by Francesca Sana. My friend Earth wakes from a winter nap. She hears the busy spring sounds, the farmer's hoe tap-tapping in the garden, the cause of crows. She sees the little, the silent seed, the spider spinning silver, the robins and the wrens. And the large, the long-winged albatross crossing the sea, the mole tunneling in the underdark. She guides the chimpanzee to her night nest. And the zebra baby to find his mother in the hundreds of black and white striped mothers. She tends the prairie where sun-dappled wild horses run through grasses that swish against their legs. tundra where the reindeer graze for moss, and the glistening ice where the young polar bear pads on mittened feet. She guards all the creatures in all the oceans, the black manta rays sleek like shadows, the shining parrotfish, the tiny krill who swim with millions of other krill to look big, and the whales who are big. My friend Earth pours the summer rain to fill streams, flowing down mountains, through the fields, to the rivers, to the sea. Sometimes she pours too much rain, flooding towns and meadows and roads, until she dries the land. Sometimes she blows fierce autumn winds, sweeping the limbs of trees and shingles from the roofs of barns. until she stills the wind so red and orange and yellow leaves float to the ground. When cold comes again, my friend Earth sprinkles the snow, whisper silent, covering the dens where the baby black bears are born in soft darkness, drifting over the icy pond where the turtle sleeps in mud, settling into the empty nests of birds. Under the white, the silent seed is cradled in the dark soil, watching, waiting to fly up again in the warm, bright sun of spring. 
Our reading today is from Enfleshed, a multicultural group of religious professionals that provide spiritual resources based in collective liberation theology. It is a responsive litany. Sage will read the main text and I will read the response, which is, this is loving and being loved. Bear is going to put the words up on the screen and I invite you to say the response with me if you wish and are where you can do so. It is titled, Litany for Becoming. Telling the stories, sharing in the memories, giving thanks for the relationships, understandings, and the experiences past that have shaped us to this day. This is loving and being loved. Celebrating new beginnings that excite, holding risks together, leaning into unknowns with the promises of support and companionship. This is loving and being loved. Listening to the future calling uniquely to each of us in the midst of all of life's noise. Helping one another find our place in the shared labor of collective life. Supporting each other in what it is the world's ache is asking from us. This is loving and being loved. To say for the first time, this is who I am. This is the truth of my body. This is what I know about myself. This is my name. And this is where my path is leading me. And to have it heard, have it received, have it affirmed. And then to say it again and again as we change and as the world changes. And to have each proclamation greeted with an open-armed embrace. This is loving and being loved. There is no me without you. We shape one another. The sacred that birthed us weaves our lives together so that we can only find ourselves through shared becoming. For my journey and all its winding ways, for yours, for all the saints who labored for what is and all the kin whose lives made ours possible, for all those yet to come for whom our living our truths today will mean breaking possibilities open for them tomorrow. We pause, we give thanks, we acknowledge. This is loving and being loved. This is the time in our service where we find a place of centeredness. We breathe together in and out, in and out. And breathing together, we sense the heartstring connections that turn virtual space into beloved religious community. Breathing in, breathing out, in and out. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place of greater calmness, the place where that spark of the divine dwells in each of us. We will continue our meditative breathing and have some music for a while. During this time, I invite you to light a candle if you wish, candles representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance.
Dolly Parton is a modern-day goddess. Just saying. She was one of the larger funding of research that ended up producing one of the COVID-19 vaccines that's now available to us. And recently, she put out an internet video, a sort of self-funded public service announcement to encourage people to get vaccinated. The video shows her receiving her first dose of that very vaccine that she helped to fund the research for it. She called it a dose of her own medicine. In it, she sings, vaccine, 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 to the tune of one of her all-time great hits, Jolene. Only she sings it on key and a whole lot better than I just did. She has a new song also and a video to go with it where she imagines life after the, pandi- after the pandemic. The song is so moving and the images and the video are so powerful. I don't want to be a spoiler for folks who haven't seen it yet, so I won't describe it all right now. But if you do it. A- on the title of the song it's called when it when life is good again it'll come up with links to the video of the song <laughs> the thing is when i first heard it even though i was very moved by the song i wanted to argue with the title line when life is good again i was like uh, well everything wasn't so great before and 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 life has its good moments even during the pandemic doesn't it But then I listened to her song some more, and I watched the video some more, and I thought about it some more, and I had to admit to myself that life during the pandemic has very often been pretty darn difficult. The isolation, the uncertainty and anxiety, the trauma of witnessing half a million die from COVID-19 in our country, millions more across the globe. I had to imagine how much more difficult this must be for folks who have far less resources than I am blessed to have, for folks who live all alone. And so I had to admit that life certainly could be better again. Actually, I had to repent before the goddess, at least in my imagination, and admit that she was right and I was wrong. At least in her song, she assures us that life's gonna be good again. And I think one of the things she does in the song is tries to share with us that we have the agency to make life even better than the before times. After all, we've seen how very interconnected we truly are. And as the vaccines continue to come out and more people get vaccinated, and as medical science races to move us out of this pandemic, we, especially given all we have experienced, have the potential to imagine becoming something new, something healthy, loving, and more creative than before. Parton imagines becoming more thoughtful, more dependable, more helpful, becoming more in the moment, becoming a people who make amends with one another, becoming a people who open our hearts to the whole world. She challenges us to realize the direction in which we are becoming becoming is determined by the choices we make. Well, the spiritual concept we've been exploring in our religious education activities this month is becoming. And there's a theology that I, can, I think can be helpful to us in thinking about this concept of becoming. It's called process-relational theology. 
This theology, process theology, grew out of new discoveries in physics where at the most basic level, reality no longer seemed to function in the concrete, dualistic way we in the West, at least, had previously thought. Matter is energy temporarily taking form, for instance, as one physicist put it. This theology, then, views humans and indeed everything in the world and the universe not as discrete, unchanging, static things, but as processes that are always becoming. So according to this concept, right now, in this moment, I am not a being or an object, but a series of events unfolding. My experiences of the past, the possibilities available to me in the moment, and the choices I make from among those possibilities. But even as you've been listening to this, I made choices and became something at least a little new. And so did the you who heard it. The entire physical world is like this also for process theology. Kind of heady stuff, I know. I sometimes like to think of it as saying we and all of creation are kind of like the flame in our chalice. A flame can appear to us as a fairly stable object or thing. In reality, though, it is an ever-becoming process of fuel and oxygen being burnt, one flame dying away so that the next one can arise, giving us the impression, to our eyes making it seem like it's one steady flame. For process theology also, God or the divine is not all-powerful, omnipotent, but is instead kind of the ultimate process of becoming, an ultimate process that lures us toward more creative, healthy, loving, and life-sustaining choices in each moment of our becoming, an ultimate process that lures us toward more creative, healthy, loving, and life-sustaining choices in each moment of our becoming, an ultimate process that then holds within itself all the moments in each of our lives. In this way, for process theology, we are co-creators with the divine and in some ways of the divine. Now, non-theistic versions of process thought substitute the creative potential of the universe or love or the spirit of life as that which offers us these choices. That was a very, very condensed version of only a few concepts from process relational theology. I'm going to come back to the relational part a little later on. I think, though, one valuable understanding that we can take away from this theology is that we are always changing, always becoming. We have no choice in this. What we do have a choice about, though, is how we become, the path our becoming follows. Will we make those more transcendent choices toward that which we are called? Now, though we are always changing, becoming, we carry with us our experiences of the past, our past selves. And these can both enhance our becoming now, but they can also limit it. The cultural norms we were taught and then internalized can cause us to become something other than our truest selves. Certainly, racism and all forms of oppression can limit our possibilities, keeping both the oppressed, much more so, but even their oppressors, from being able to really have those life-giving choices. It keeps us from 
being able to reach for our fullest humanity. So sometimes we have to engage in a sort of unbecoming of that which is not true to us. Here's an example from my own life. Growing up in a small East Texas town, I don't think that my dad or the other children I went to school with or even I realized that I was gay. But we knew that there was something different, and my dad could sometimes, probably without even realizing it, express disappointment, negativity. Some children wanted nothing to do with me. Well, as I got a little older as a child, this rebelliousness became within me. I was like, I'll show you. I'll be the best at everything you were not. I will make straight A's. I will get into all of the accelerated classes. I will ace my SAT college entrance exam. And on and on it went into adulthood, always striving to be great at everything. But of course, that's a trap, isn't it? Because none of us can be good at every little thing. And I've had other users express to me for reasons of their own, experiences of their own, that they have had this similar trait. So becoming our truest, fullest selves means we have had to try to unbecome our propensity toward wannabe hero-itis. I think in general, we need to resist the desire to always be becoming towards something extraordinary. Sometimes the life fulfilling may be found in the ordinary, in the here and now. However, one useful choice we can make when we have a goal, when there's something we would like to become, is that sometimes we can fake it until we make it. Amy Cutter is a social psychologist who studies body language, and she has found that when we're feeling confident, powerful, we tend to take an expansive body position, an uplifted body position. But when we're feeling nervous or anxious or without agency, we tend to shrink our body position. She has several poses she recommends. One is called the Wonder Woman pose. And she says if you hold these poses for two minutes, you actually will feel more confident. I've actually used that pose before I had an interview or some other interaction that I was nervous about, and it really did help. And, you know, I have been missing doing these services here in the sanctuary with so many of you physically present. And yet I've been thinking lately when we finally do get back in the building, the first time that I preach and there are lots of people out here in the pews, I wonder if I'll get a little bit of stage fright. So if on that Sunday you see me hiding in a corner somewhere doing the Wonder Woman pose, you'll know why. I actually call, call the pose underdog. Now, Cutter also found that you can take this further. You can fake it until you make it. And neuroscience backs this up. If we take the more confident pose, if we fake it for a little while more and more often, our neuro patterns start to change, start to change for good. Here's a story that Cutter shares from her own life to illustrate this. When Cutter was 19, she was in a bad car wreck and she had bad head injuries. After she came to, they did an IQ test and it was two standard deviations lower than it had been before. She had always been the gifted child, smart one in the class, and so she was just devastated. She would told 
she was told she would never be able to go to college. But she worked very hard, and eventually she did get into college. And after more than four years of struggling through, she graduated college and convinced an advisor to get, take a chance on her and let her enter the graduate school. But at the end of her first year in graduate school, she was informed she would have to give a 20-minute talk in front of several of her professors and her peers. She was terrified. She couldn't do it. She went to her advisor and said, I'm terrified. I can't do it. I quit. The advisor looked at her and said, no, you are not going to quit. You are going to go in there and you're going to give that speech even if you are terrified. You are going to talk and talk and talk even if you have to fake it. And she did. And she continued to fake it to make it all through graduate school and after that to her new work at Harvard. But she says the whole time she often felt like an imposter. She would think to herself, I'm not supposed to be here. I want to show you a video so you can hear in her own words the moment when she realized she had made it. I am supposed to be here. At the end of my first year at Harvard, um, a student who had not talked in class the entire semester who I had said, look, you've got to participate or else you're going to fail, came into my office. I really didn't know her at all. And she said, she came in totally defeated and she said, I'm not supposed to be here. And that was the moment for me because two things happened. One was that I realized, oh my gosh, I don't feel like that anymore. You know, I don't feel that anymore, but she does and I get that feeling. And the second was, she is supposed to be here. Like she can fake it. She can become it. So I was like, yes, you are. You are supposed to be here. And tomorrow you're going to fake it. You're going to make yourself powerful. And, you know, you're going <laughs> to... And... You're going to go you're going to go into the classroom and you are going to give the best comment ever. You know? And she gave the best comment ever and people turned around and they were like, "Oh my god, I didn't even notice her sitting there, you know?" She comes back to me months later and I realize that she had not just faked it till she made it. She had actually faked it till she became it. So she had changed. Um, and so I I I want to say to you, don't fake it till you make it. Fake it till you become it. You know, it's not do it enough until you actually become it and internalize. I think that story also illustrates that we are not becoming all alone. We need one another to reach for our full potential. Process and womanist theologian Monica A. Coleman says it like this. We do not have relationships. We are not discrete selves that can choose whether or not we want to relate to one another. Rather, we are relationships. So, my beloveds, let us take this life-altering experience of the pandemic and imagine making life not just good again, but so much better than even the before times. Together, and with so many other folks who might join us, let us build the world we dream about. Together, becoming a people who are dismantling systems of racism and all other forms of oppression. Together, becoming a people who are working to save our planet and the other forms of life with which we share it. Together. 
becoming a people of love, justice, peace. Together, becoming the beloved community. Now please join me, if you wish, in saying our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Let's open up our hearts and let the love shine in. We'll try to make amends when life is good again. And it's going to be good again. So saith the goddess. I wish you peace. I send you much love. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.